rock. What is the rock that you have based your life upon? Or perhaps you have not based your life upon the rock, but you based your life upon sand. Shifting sand. That's where you are, and I encourage you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Because the only rock that is the rock is Jesus. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rock is the words of Jesus put into practice. And we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, of which this phrase is the concluding phrase of that sermon. And that sermon that Jesus gave almost 2,000 years ago, that sermon was the sermon that tells us how to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How do you actually do it? So the Sermon on the Mount is quite literally the words of Jesus that we are to put into practice. So if you're just coming into this sermon series, you can go on YouTube and you can see the other ones leading up to this if you would like, but it doesn't really matter if you're coming in now. Every word in the Sermon on the Mount can have direct application to us today. So just so you know, this will be my last sermon in this sermon series until 2023. Next week is the Christmas program. The week after that is the Sunday before Christmas. I'm going to do a Christmas message where we prepare for Christmas. And then as I've just mentioned, Christmas Day, we're not going to have service. The next Sunday after that is January 1, 2023. So this will be our final message in this sermon series until next year. That's where we're at. Let's pray. God, once again, we come to you. We've been in your presence all day today, Lord. That's been obvious. But now, Lord, we come in a different way. We come with hearts ready to receive what you have for us in your word. So now, God, prepare our hearts. Make it fertile soil for your gospel. Prepare our minds that we might clear out distractions and that we, we might be able to hear and understand you as you speak. God, your word is inspired both the writing of it's inspired and now the understanding, the interpretation must also be inspired or we risk veering off the road. So God, speak and help us understand your word. Amen. <laughs> it's my last sermon with the kids going. I better make this worthwhile. <laughs> so I believe I will. And here's the deal. <laughs> it's a good day for the kids to be gone. Let's just start where we left off last week, shall we? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 28 through 32. <laughs> when you read the heading, you're going to go, Oh, this is going to be good that the kids aren't here. Here we go, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus put it into practice. What are we going to do with this? Well, I would make the argument that this particular section of Scripture needs to be talked about. And it is okay that the kids are gone. So here we go. But before we start, I'm going to start this entire idea with a disclaimer. It's Maybe disclaimer is the wrong word. I want to set something straight before we begin so that we're not off course from the beginning, okay? Billy Graham was arguably the most effective evangelist in the history of mankind. You can make that claim just on sheer numbers. I mean, I think the Apostle Paul probably has him on theology and impact. But sheer numbers of people just saying yes to Jesus, Billy Graham probably has the, the record, although he would never say it like Billy Graham was an incredible evangelist. He was a powerful speaker. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of God. He spoke to millions, and his message was heard and understood by millions. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ in such a way that people heard it and accepted Christ. So I just want to start there, okay? But there is one thing Billy Graham said that has been twisted beyond recognition. And it's important that I explain this to you because this one thing that he said has not only become part of our culture, it's become almost completely established theology in most people's minds because they haven't really thought about it. So, this one thing that has been twisted has caused people to misunderstand what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know that Billy Graham would not want that. Okay? So, here's, it, here's what it is. Billy Graham said this. Most people believe it, but most people believe a twisted version of it. All sins are equal. That made you quiet. Because most of you, if I would have asked you before this moment, if I would have said, are all sins equal? You would have said, probably, yes. Billy Graham's discussion of all sins being equal was part of almost every one of his evangelistic sermons. And it, went some, it goes something like this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I have also preached sermons like that many times. In fact, those two verses, along with some other things, are in every funeral sermon I've ever preached. Billy Graham was an evangelist. So it makes sense that he would stress this point. We have all sinned. God is holy. Therefore, from God's perspective... 
Even one sin is enough to earn eternal separation from Him. True. Absolutely true. So looked at from an eternal perspective, from God's perspective, all sins are equal in that committing even one sin will earn damnation. So even if you've committed the smallest sin, you've earned the same penalty as if you had committed the worst. Even if you say one little white lie, that has earned you eternal damnation in hell. And if you've killed a million people because you were the ruler of Nazi Germany, you've earned eternal damnation in hell. True. But there is more. And most people have stopped right there. The more is important. Now, again, I'm not bad-mouthing Billy Graham. I'm saying, and, and Billy Graham wouldn't even say stop there. But most people have only heard that much and have stopped. Okay? So, why? Why do most people stop there? Let me help you understand why. You see, if you stop there, you can justify... Any sin as the same as any other sin. Now this can be an extremely valuable technique if you're trying to justify sin in your life. You see, today we're going to be talking about sexual sin. So if you are practicing sexual sin, it is valuable theologically to say that your sexual sin is not any worse than any other sin. It's not any worse than saying a little white lie or even stealing a loaf of bread if you're hungry. You see, because all sin is equal. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? But this is not what Jesus taught us. Nor is it what the Bible teaches us. And actually, it's not what Billy Graham taught either. It's just that people have pulled just that section out of context. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I believe that that means that there's a difference between sin. Did I read that wrong? So you understand. The reason why you would say all sins are equal, if you're struggling with a particular sin, might be because you want to just keep that little sin going. I know that this sin that I have is just the same as a little white lie. Therefore, it's okay. False. False. Alright, so let's get this one right. Theologically, all 
all sins are equal from an eternal perspective. Any sin, even the smallest, will earn you damnation. But, you must have the second part to this. All sins are not equal from a non-eternal perspective. Some sins do greater damage and have greater consequences than others. You know what's interesting? We obviously know that. Right? It, it, it's so obvious. What's the difference between punishment for running a stop sign and punishment for premeditated murder? Duh. We know that that's true. But do you see how people have misused this idea from Billy Graham to justify their sin? Do you see it? I hope you do. So don't come to me and say all oh, sins are equal anymore. Because I'll have to just give you that whole thing again. Actually, maybe you should come to me. Let me explain it. Are we ready now? With that out of the way, are we ready to talk about what Jesus said? So, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You guys are quiet today. You're like, uh, it's December, Pastor. A Christmas sermon would have been good. <laughs> Alright, here we go again. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. This is not going to come as a surprise for you, I hope. Adultery is a serious sin. The Jewish people have known that for thousands of years. In fact, for 1,500 years before Jesus, Jewish people knew that. Because, 1,500 years before Jesus, God gave us the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 14. It's a long one. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't commit adultery. You shall not. Matthew 5, 27. Jesus is quoting this. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But then Jesus takes the external law and goes to our heart. He did this last week, didn't he, with murder. Take the external sin, and let's talk about what God actually meant to happen internally regarding that sin. Matthew 5, 28, the next verse. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. And by the way, this goes both ways. It's, I know it's, it's him and her. It, this goes the other way too. Okay. You could argue that Jesus is completely redefining the definition of adultery. But I think it's better to say it this way. Jesus is not giving a new definition for adultery. He is fulfilling the definition that was always there. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Remember, that's what this whole section is about. Jesus is bringing out what God had always intended to be there. 
Looking lustfully is committing adultery in your heart. Now this brings a whole new meaning to every passage in the entire Bible that deals with adultery. You understand that? Every passage in the Bible now has a new meaning because of what Jesus said here. I, I haven't said a lot about discipleship fans, about half our churches in discipleship fans, so I, I don't want to make it feel like people are missing out because they're not, because you guys prayed about it, and some of you felt like God was saying to be in them, and some of you felt like God was saying not right now. That's okay. But I have to tell you this. I can't leave this out. The discipleship banding reading plan that we've been on for the past two weeks was in the early part of Proverbs, and a vast majority of the early part of Proverbs talks about adultery. Now, this was extra sensitive to me since I'm about to preach on this. Do you know what it's like to preach on adultery? You probably don't. But I can tell you this. I asked my discipleship band specifically to pray for me this week because I knew that the enemy was going to tempt me. Didn't I? I said, guys, I need you to pray for me, for my eyes, specifically. Right? Because it's difficult to preach on this topic. It'd be easier to skip it, to not deal with the spiritual attack that I was going to have this week. And by the way, I did get attacked. And it wasn't just once. You want to talk about putting on your spiritual armor? You better have your armor on when you're going to preach about this. You understand what I'm saying? So, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, but I think it's worth doing. I'm just going to read scripture to you for a little bit. The scripture in Proverbs, the scripture in Proverbs, that's about adultery, that we just went through in our discipleship commands. Now, as I read these scriptures about adultery, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus has fulfilled these scriptures in such a way that even looking lustfully at someone is committing adultery in your heart. Three chapters of Proverbs in a row deal with this. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 5, the whole chapter. Take a listen. My son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside to what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. 
Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets? Your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline. Let us stray by his own great folly. Yeah. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 20. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life, keeping you from the immoral woman from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a woman walk on hot coal, or can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress. 
from the wayward wife with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. <laughs> he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She, would, she is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse, filled with money, and will not be home till full moon. With pervasive, persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. <coughs> now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I said. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down, her slain or a mighty throne. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. These words are difficult to hear. There are some of you who have lived these words. And it's very painful. It is not the purpose of what I'm doing today to bring up pain. On my pulpit right here, I've said this to you a long time ago, but if you ever come up here and get to read something, there's a, a, a label right here. 1 Corinthians 9.16, here's what it says. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Are you ready for some good news? Because <laughs> that was a whole lot of yikes. Right? Here's the good news. The fact of the matter is, the adulteress, the prostitute in Proverbs, also applies to what you look at, according to Jesus. There are very likely men and women in here who are struggling with the sin of adultery. 
And I'm not just talking about the physical act of adultery. I'm talking about adultery in your heart as Jesus has defined it. Here's the good news. You can have freedom from your sin. Jesus offers you the way out. But it requires submitting to Him. It requires a recognition, first of all, that this is serious sin and it will lead you to death. Her house is a highway to the grave. The good news is you don't have to go to the grave. If you are within the, the sound of my voice right now, either in this place or online, or listening three years from now on YouTube, you don't have to go. And this is not a sin that is unforgivable. If I don't get a praise God for someone. <laughs> praise God. This is not a sin in which if you do this, you're in hell forever. There's no turnbacks. Oh no. This is a sin in which God offers you forgiveness. God offers you restoration. God offers you renewed life in your marriage. Amen. But if you're in the darkness right now, it's time to come to the light. Oh, that is scary. That is scary. That is scary. The New Testament is literally filled, as well as the Old Testament, filled with exhortations, that means strong preaching, to avoid sexual sin. This is, as I read just briefly before in 1 Corinthians, sexual sin changes you on the inside. It changes you on the inside. Now, all sin changes you on the inside. But did you hear what I read before? There's something insidious about this. Something that changes a part of us that shouldn't be changed. Do you hear me? All sin is sin because it's not holy, it's separate from God. And God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for me. God wants victory for us over this stuff that causes us to be far from Him. And there is victory available. First Corinthians six twelve through twenty. This is part of this is what I read before. But I want to read the whole section. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Notice the everything permissible is in quotation marks. Paul is quoting something that the Corinthians were saying to him. Everything's permissible. Everything's okay. And Paul is saying it's not good. See that everything is permissible for me. And then Paul says. Not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. What are you mastered by? 
Are you mastered by your sexual sin? Does it control you? Let's keep reading. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. See? It's inside. But you... Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5 Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Do you want to know how to please God? Does anybody want to know how to please God? Because this says it right here. Do you want to know? So 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5 now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You ready for this? You want to know how to please God? It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality. For literally more than a decade, I have had teenagers come up to me and say, can you just tell me God's will for my life? Yeah. Yeah. I sure can. You get that wrong, it doesn't matter where you go to college. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, what major you pick. You want to know God's will for your life? Oh, well, I didn't want that. I wanted to know what college you go to. <laughs> It'll matter. <laughs> you get that wrong. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that each one of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. And by the way, um, this next verse, pay attention to this one. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Hmm. Good news. I've got three possible applications, and then we're done today. Number one. Married folk. I got one for you. Married folk. This is not tricky. And yet it might be one of the most difficult things you ever do. If your marriage is in trouble, get some help. Whoa. Mind-blowing. You know, I read Proverbs. I, I, I just kind of breezed over this one. I thought there might be chuckles. But that's if I was, if I was teaching my sixth grade release timers. 
they, they might have chuckled for that one. May the breasts of your wife satisfy you. That, that's a little much. I gotcha. I'm just telling you it's the word of God. Okay? So I say this with all seriousness. If that's not the case, you probably should get some help. You need to go and talk to somebody as a couple and work through that because that's not God's will for you. So, most people who are having marriage problems don't go to counseling. And you know why? Because they're too busy and it costs too much money. Are you for real right now? Men, can I talk to you for a second? Do you want your wife's breasts to satisfy Wow, did he really say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Yes, I did. I am preaching the word of God. Men, if that's not the case for you, married men, if that's not the case for you, invest in counseling. Get that fixed. Okay? Number two, application. Told you it was a good day for the kids not to be. Number two, unmarried folks, unmarried people. Shocker, don't live together before you get married. Did he really say that? But doesn't he know that I am so poor? I couldn't possibly do that because financially it's just impossible for me. Are you for real right now? What is this thing in our culture that has made it acceptable for people to live together before they get married? What is that? Now, I want to be clear about this. I'm not talking to people that do not follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay? They're going to do what they're going to do. Right? Because they don't know Jesus. What I'm going to tell them is, you need to find Jesus because there's life eternal there. There's life to the full there, right? This group of people that says, I love Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior, but I'm going to live with my woman and have sex with her before we get married. You is wrong. And it's dangerous. The kind of danger that will cause you to die. Now, I'm not necessarily just talking about death in the grave. Like, I'm talking about, do you want your marriage to be fulfilling? Like, the whole satisfy, the, you know, that whole thing? Yeah. That's connected to what you do before you get married. Now I'm just being judgmental, aren't I? Am I? Let me give you some good news. There are those in here who did have sex before you got married. Okay? It is not an unforgivable sin. Now, it does have consequences. There's no doubt about that. Sin always does. But let me tell you the right answer. Okay? The right answer is to just not avoid it. Okay? The right answer is to ask God for forgiveness of that. Now, you might need to do that publicly and not necessarily say, come up here and say, 
I had sex before we were married. No. I don't, I'm not saying do that, okay? What I am saying is, you and your spouse need to get on the same page about this, recognize that it's sin, admit it's sin. Repent. What does repent mean? Go, I'm going this way, I turn 180 degrees, and now I'm going towards Jesus. Right? So if that's you, repent, ask forgiveness, do it together as a couple, and make it right. Tell your kids what you did. I could never do that. You know what happens when somebody has sex before they get married and then doesn't tell their kids? I can tell you, because I've seen it about 50 times in youth ministry. Here's what happens. Their kid is promiscuous before marriage and lives together, right? And they don't say anything because they feel like they'll be a hypocrite if they do. What are you talking about? That is a crazy parenting mistake. Talk to your kids about what you did. Talk to them about how you've come to know Jesus and how you now recognize that that was a mistake. And it's, it's a lasting, costly mistake. But there's, there's freedom in Jesus Christ to overcome that sin. And there's, there's so much better for life to not go that route. Don't go that route. And then, and then parents, put your money where your mouth is. Grandma and Grandpa, put your money where your mouth is. You ready for this? If a kid comes up to you and says, I'm going to live together with my spouse, or with my future spouse, okay? Here's what you say, Grandma and Grandpa. That is your choice. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing that because rent is so expensive. I just, I just can't, I just, I can't make it work financially. Grandma and Grandpa, I will pay for you to be separate. How much will it cost? Give me a number. They won't give you a number. And when they don't give you the number, now, Grandma and Grandpa, here's what I want you to say. So we've now established that money's not the issue. Could we talk about what the issue is? But is, are, is, it, not, is my time up? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm almost done. So if that is your alarm going on, I'm almost done. So, unmarried people, this is not tricky, okay? You ready? I already said it. Don't live together before you get married. Don't have sex before you get married. The whole point of getting married in a church with a pastor officiating, okay, think about this, is you're asking God's blessing on your marriage. True or false? True, right? So how can you ask God's blessing on your marriage if you come to the marriage altar living in habitual sin? Is this tricky? And God's grace is there to meet you. Did you hear that? God's grace is there to meet you. If you will simply repent, admit that what you're doing is wrong, repent, turn towards God, times of refreshing will come and your marriage will be blessed. Your marriage will be incredibly blessed if you stay pure to your wedding. Now, that doesn't mean that you're lost if you haven't, or if, the, if you're sitting here listening to this feeling like, Argh! there's hope in Jesus Christ. This is good news. 
But it, it's not going to work if you just keep this hidden in your little secret. You see this? That you, if, if you're just going to keep doing it, if you're just going to keep living in that habitual sin, that's not hope. That's death. And it smells exactly like death. And your whole life will smell of death. Grandparents, I'm serious about that. Pay for your kids not to live together. Pay for your grandkids not to live together. I'm serious. You got the money. Do it. What better thing could you spend your money on than that? Answer me that question. What better thing could you spend your money on than that? Nothing. Take all it out. Number three. Sexual sin. So I've talked to the married people, I've talked to the unmarried people, now I'm talking to everybody. If you're tangled up in sexual sin, <laughs> could be adultery. Could be lust of your eyes. Could be pornography. Get some help. Get some help. There are people in your life that want to help you have victory over sin. But it starts, it starts with you saying, I've got a problem. Sin has tangled me up. Remember the, in Proverbs, you're strangled by the cords of your sin. Did you hear that? If that's you, if you are strangled by the cords of your sin, if you are tied up and can't move because of your sexual sin, Get some help. You might maybe need to go to a counselor. Maybe you need to go to a pastor. Maybe you need to confide in a friend. Maybe you need to talk to your spouse. First John 1, 5-9 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You want to be purified from all sin? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Gotta confess your sins, y'all. You need to confess with God. That's absolutely primary. Gotta confess your sin to God and turn from it. But you may also need to confess your sin to someone else. Maybe your spouse. Maybe your family. That's between you and God. Maybe just your pastor. Maybe just a counselor. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, and be healed. Is that tricky? Not really. Let me go back to 1 John, and then we're done. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I want to ask you something. Do you want healing? Do you? Because it's available. Or do you want to stay in your darkness? That's your choice. Do you want to remain a slave to your sin and your lust? I hope not. Jesus said in our passage today, if your right eye causes you to sin, pop it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, guys, cut it off. Was he being exaggerative to make a point? Yes. My guess is there would be lots of only left-handed men, if that were the case. But there is something you can cut out. We have access to more pornography than the history of mankind put together. Three clicks I could be on that. Three clicks. Let your wife put a filter on your phone, guys. Just a little practical nugget at the end. Okay, last sentence. You ready for this? There is hope in Jesus for you to have victory over your